in general, you can trust these kids to feed themselves adequate amount of calories in order to grow the way that their genetic blueprint is telling them to grow. Whenever we interfere and either try to force kids to eat more or restrict their food, we're actually counterproductive. We're causing the opposite reaction. So whenever we restrict food from a child that we think is eating too much, we actually cause them to be more obsessed with food and think about food more. Whenever we try to force a child to eat more than they want to, we're actually making them more anxious around food. Welcome back to the Plant-Based DFW podcast weekly show with Dr. Riss and Maya. Our podcast focuses on lifestyle medicine, which is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches such as whole food, plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to help treat, reverse, and prevent the lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, we will feature physicians, dietitians, health coaches, and chefs who will share with us their expertise on one of these lifestyle medicine modalities. Before we meet today's podcast guests, I have a few announcements. Now, many of you know that the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine has been running an eight-week nutrition class, and it resumes again this Tuesday, February the 9th. Join doctors and community partners for a free online nutrition class. Learn how weight gain, high blood pressure, diabetes, and other conditions can be prevented, treated, and reversed with plant-based foods. Dr. Vanita Raman and weekly class guests will provide practical tips, inspiration, and interactive question and answers during this eight-week class series. We will be uh, guests on February the 16th, so make sure that you sign up on time so that you can get the link for that class. So it's pcrm.org forward slash nutrition class. If you cannot attend during the live recording, you will receive the recordings by email. Okay, have you signed up for the Grand Canyon Adventure? I hope you have. So far, there are 18 people in our teams. We will be participating in the Walk with a Docs Grand Canyon Adventure. This adventure will run February 13th through the 26th. It's a virtual event. We will walk as a team 70 miles. So teams consist of one through five people. Uh, This can include your kids, your colleagues, friends. This will also be 14 days of heart-healthy movement and nutritious eating. Participate in any type of activity that you enjoy, walking, running, swimming, housework. Log your activity each day to virtually move along the Grand Canyon. I did make a video to explain things a little bit better, so go to that link. It's bit.ly forward slash Grand Canyon Adventure. We have four teams now, so we have the plant-based DFW team, Dr. Riz team, Team Bukhari, and Hippocrates Docs. I will include those links as well. Okay, finally, our organization, Plant-Based DFW, is now found on a new shirt provided by Plant Pure Communities. I just made a post about it on Instagram, and I've purchased two shirts for myself and Dr. Riz. If you're interested in purchasing this shirt to support Plant Pure Communities, visit Teespring dot com forward slash stores forward slash plan pure dash communities. Let me tell you a little bit about plan pure communities. It's a groundbreaking grassroots approach to support local leaders who empower others in their community to create change. In only five years, PPC has created a network of more than 250,000 people dedicated to bringing the plant-based message along with valuable tools and resources to communities around the globe. Plant Peer Communities is offering group leaders and members the opportunity to support the nonprofit by purchasing swag that tells a story. The proceeds of the purchase help PPC to keep supporting the pod network as they continue to grow. You can also get a discount code to take 10% off your purchase. The code is 10OFF. Dr. Yami Carsola Lancaster is a host of Veggie Doctor Radio. She is a board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, national board-certified health and wellness coach, 
author, and speaker. She is also the founder of Veggie Fit Kids, which aims to support and inspire plant-based kids and families. She is passionate about the power of diet and lifestyle in the prevention of chronic disease. In this episode, Dr. Yami will share with us how she learned about the power of plant-based foods, how she implemented healthy lifestyle changes in her own household, and how she created a practice to support families in their wellness journeys. We touch on common health issues that she sees in her patients. We also talk about body image, intuitive eating, and why we need to be careful when it comes to food approach with children. I hope you enjoy this episode. You can head on over to our Instagram page to tell us what you learned from Dr. Yami. That's at plant-based DFW podcast. All the links for our guests are found in our show notes. Our episodes are also on our YouTube channel. A short link to that is bit.ly forward slash plant-based DFW. Our podcast website is plantbaseddfwpodcast.com. And as you dive into the episodes, never forget, the more you implement these lifestyle changes, the more you will upgrade your health. Thank you for being part of the community. Welcome, Dr. Yami. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. It's a treat for us because Riz will tell you that you are probably the first podcaster, plant-based podcaster that I started listening to. Yeah, I had to hear Dr. Whoa. Yami, Dr. Yami this, Dr. Yami that, Dr. Yami, Dr. Yami. So. I was like, she's a pediatrician with the podcast. I found it fascinating that here you are talking about topics, this is a great way to reach out to patients and other people and continue to educate them about your work as a pediatrician and then plant-based nutrition as well. So thank you. I always like to hear your plant-based story. I feel like it was serendipitous, but also maybe divinely inspired. I actually was really into long distance running half marathons and marathons and mostly for the party atmosphere because you Ah. know music and party and you get to do like matching outfits and you know where the cute stuff that's the most important part but um i was looking into barefoot running because i've always had plantar fasciitis ever since medical school anatomy lab okay and i was reading this book called born to run and in the book they talk about the Tarahumara Indians who are a native group in Mexico, who their kind of their culture is around running and they run as a form of almost like a religious practice, meditative practice. And it's just part of their way of life. But what's cool about it is that they're also predominantly plant-based mainly because they live out in the desert and that's what they have access to, or they did in the past. I think now they have more access to animal products. And then in the book, they also talk about Scott Jurek, who yeah. is a plant-based ultra athlete who's broken all kinds of crazy records. And he has his own book as well. So this was like my first introduction into this plant-based vegan world. And I was like, that's weird. But as I was reading the book, something just sort of just hit me, struck me, like maybe you should just try it and see what happens just because it sounds super curious and interesting. And so right then I just decided I'm going to try it for 30 days. I'm Panamanian. So I thought, you know, it's not going to be too hard. I'll just eat whole wheat toast with peanut butter for breakfast and I'll have rice and beans pasta with marinara, you know, like I was already in my head, like it can't be too bad, you know? So I just wanted to see what would happen. It was really just curiosity. I didn't have any set expectations, but what was amazing is that within three days, my chronic constipation that I had had for over three decades was cured. And this was, you know, this quote, genetic constipation that everybody in my family had and not, you know, just take Miralax for it and just deal with it. But I also felt better. I felt more energetic and lighter in my mood too, because I'm a very high energy person and I have, you know, really strong emotions. I just felt calmer, which is a big deal for someone like me. And it was just so easy to keep going. It was just not difficult. As the month went on, I started watching documentaries, of course, Forks Over Knives. Mm-hmm. I read Diet for a New America by John Robbins, The Kind Diet. I watched Earthlings, The Cove. It was <laughs> over. By the end of the month, it was over. There was no going back. And I had zero regrets about that. I was like, no, this is just, it was, it felt like it was meant to be, but it was just at the right time in my life, in my developmental timeline. It just seemed right. So then I said, okay, I'm going to do this for myself. I told my family, 
I'm just going to do this. I'm going to look into the rest of you guys. And so that's when I started to do research on children. Is it safe for children is what I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Because as a pediatrician, you're taught that it's really not that safe and that it's kind of, you know, really difficult. The child may not get all the nutrients they need. They may not grow as well. They may not get enough calcium, whatever. But when I started doing the research, it actually wasn't as bad as we had been taught. And actually, in some ways, there was benefits that I had never been taught about before. And so by the end of the second month, that was it. The whole family was changing. I'm the the one that buys all the groceries and does all the cooking. So everybody was like, okay, fine. No problem. My husband said, well, that's fine. You can change everything in the house. Do you mind if I still go and buy some cheese and lunch meat and stuff like that? I'm like, no, I made him his little drawer in Mm. the fridge that he could put the stuff in. It only lasted a couple of weeks because he hates going to the grocery store. (laughs) So really, literally, he just went twice. And after that, he's like, "Eh, it's not worth it. And it just evolved from there. And this coming summer, it'll be 10 years. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. I mean, you've been in it a lot longer than other people. Um, Okay, so your children were fairly young at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, one of them was six years old, and the other one was 18 months old. So did the six-year-old adapt fairly well. The older one is like literally not picky at all. He'll eat anything. He loves food. He's like me, very genetically similar. And as far as like (laughs) our love and affection for food, so no skipped beats there. And my younger one, he's adopted from Ethiopia and he already loved rice and lentils and he already loved peanut butter and hummus and all of those things. And actually I had been giving him milk because he did, he did have some malnutrition needed to grow, but he had severe, horrible constipation and rectal bleeding from it. And it wasn't even just from fissuring. He was like literally having inflammation, but I was continuing to give him this because I thought, I, I don't know. It's like looking back and like, why do you make decisions like this? Just because you think that that's the best thing to do when obviously it's not right. Mm-hmm. So whenever I, I switched him over to a plant-based milk, guess what? His constipation was resolved too. Oh my <laughs> and, and the diet was normal because I was having to hide meat in his food. I suspect that likely he hadn't eaten that much meat because he had been in an orphanage for most of his life until we adopted him. So he probably wasn't used to, I was having to hide it and grind it. And I was putting it in a blender and putting, oh my God. So really it was a very easy transition for my family, thankfully. And my husband is such a nice guy and he trusts me and I'm a good cook. So even though we took meat out of the diet, everything still was delicious and great. So nobody really complained. Yeah, I think that's something that many people don't understand. You, a lot of people think if you're going to go plant-based or you're going to become vegan that the food's not going to be any good. Uh, that's what one of the things that scares many people about, oh, I, I don't want to eat a plant-based meal or I don't want to eat a vegan meal. So that's something that maybe it's up to us to help them understand is that food can taste just as good as any other food. Exactly. And my kids now are 11 and almost 16, and I'm so thankful we eat plant-based because otherwise I'd be spending probably twice as much on groceries because they eat so much food. And so <laughs> I'm talking when, when we make particularly yummy stuff, two or three servings each. And so it's, there's, there's nobody here like turning their nose up at the food. It's really mm-hmm. delicious stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I'm so glad that you're a pediatrician and that we can talk about this because we ourselves as a family went through a change when we Oh, I decided to go plant-based. I gave the family probably at the time about a year before I said no more animal products are coming into this household. And his girls were pretty young. They were still in high school. And that did not sit very well. Now they're between us and now they're in college, but between their, you know, their mom and ourselves. So that was pretty difficult. And I'm, I'm hoping as we talk a little bit more, you can kind of tell us how we can work together with children when there's a transition happening. Um, so at the time that you made your change, you were already a pediatrician? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd already been practicing for a few years. So what was that like recommending certain things for your patients first and then suddenly going, um, well, I found new information? Well, it was a complete paradigm shift. Because I am a traditionally trained pediatrician, I've always been interested in nutrition. So I followed the rules. You mm-hmm. know, I was telling everybody eat 
two to three servings of dairy per day. You need it, you know, uh, seeing lots of kids with chronic constipation, bloody stools, chronic abdominal pain, all this stuff. And then I was just putting band-aids on it. Okay. Well, let's give you Miralax or maybe try the lactose-free milk. Even though studies show that lactose-free milk, you're still going to have lactose symptoms from that. You know, you can't Mm. completely remove it, you know, um, prescribing what I call a purple cow, which is where you put prune juice into the milk so Mm. that you don't get constipation from the milk. (laughs) You know, like I was doing all this stuff because I felt like no matter what the child needs to be having the dairy, you know? And so, yeah, when my paradigm shifted, it, it wasn't, at the office, it wasn't just like automatic. Like I just started telling everybody not to drink milk or consume dairy. And I'm still not very pushy in my ways, but I started to realize that, you know, milk is not necessary. In fact, milk is causing more harm than good. And that's what I tell my families now that when it comes to dairy, it has more risks than benefits. The benefits that we thought it had, it doesn't even have. Because it doesn't even show that it's actually helping us with our bones, which is what everybody thinks we're drinking milk primarily for, you know, little by little, I started to get braver, but it wasn't until I started my own practice, which was five and a half years ago, that I was able to get a little bit more bold. Because as you know, when you're working with other colleagues that have all kinds of different opinions and telling patients different things, it can be a little hard and you don't want to step on toes or seem like the inflammatory radical person. But now that I have my own practice, I feel like I can be really honest and I give families the information. I provide them the studies if they want more information on it. And, but like I said, I'm not pushy. And I, and I also understand that we're all starting at different places and people have different desires and capacities to make changes. And because of that, I always work with my families from where they are and make little changes little by little. We saw some of your earlier um, YouTube videos where you were teaching families how to eat at various restaurants. Yes. Because that's sort of the first, one of the first things we do when we transition is, okay, how do we eat out? So you're not making that content anymore, are you? Right now it's hard because of COVID, but also as we talked about when we recorded for my podcast, you know, I kind of sometimes overdo it with (laughs) things at once. So the videos are taking a backseat for a while while I really focus on making my podcast as awesome as possible. But I feel like that sort of material is really helpful because we live in the real world. And especially when we have children, you know, I have families that are running to and fro and sporting stuff and activities. And sometimes we are going to get fast food and, and stuff like that. And that's normal. We can't expect that every single meal people are going to eat at home. But I want them to know that when they eat out, it doesn't have to be like this all or nothing like, okay, well, I'm eating out. So I might as well just have the bacon cheeseburger with extra large fries. You don't have to. You can Mm -hmm. eat out and have a black bean burrito. You can have a baked potato from Wendy's. Guess what? There actually are some options that you can have that won't make you feel like completely sluggish afterwards. Yes. Having those resources and knowing about them is so key. And that way you don't find yourself starving in between or when you're traveling, especially when families are traveling and you land in a new location, you sort of don't have time to prepare food. So going to a Taco Bell to eat a bean burrito, for example. We also joke that uh, everyone, the TSA always knows when a plant based person's coming because they got a full box of food with them, right? Yes. <laughs> got to travel with all your goodies. Yeah. <laughs> so now your Veggie Fit Kids website, did you develop that around the time that you um, opened your own practice? I actually started it beforehand. And this was my way because when I went plant-based, I didn't know any other plant-based doctors. Okay. Like besides Mm -hmm. the people I read their books of, of course, but these seem like, Oh, you know, like they're like these experts. Um, but I didn't know any, I didn't have any colleagues. And I knew that because what I was previously telling families, which is you have to drink milk and you have to do these things. I knew that that's what we usually told patients and families. So I wanted to provide a resource that would support families, but also healthcare professionals that, 
are raising plant-based children or predominantly plant-based children, whatever level they are, I want it to be a resource for them so that they can know that there is evidence out there that it is beneficial and safe and possible at every stage. I'm a former elementary school teacher. And so like, I think that's why I gravitated towards you because I'm thinking uh, of having worked with Title I students at one point and how much they suffered in terms of, um, you know, just having limited uh, resources. Some of my students would come to the classroom without any food in their stomach. I heard you speak about what it's like to work with low income students and uh, or patients for me that would be students, but the resources that you're available really do make it appealing for families, I think. Yes. And I think that there's a huge myth out there is that eating plant based means you have to be really rich or, you know, it has to be really expensive. And actually plant based foods are some of the cheapest. In fact, when they do challenges, there was a, a famous chef that did this challenge that he was just going to spend as much as what would be affordable by food stamps for his whole family of four. And guess what? He had to eat predominantly <laughs> plant-based. It was rice, beans, peanut butter. You know, it was all of those foods that are plants, they're less expensive and it can go a long way. Like a pound of beans, a pound of dried rice, it can go a long way to feed a family, makes you feel good, but also provides the fiber, the antioxidants, the phytonutrients. So, you know, you, you can accomplish a lot by eating plants and it doesn't have to be really this big expensive thing that changes your lifestyle. Yeah, I find it odd that people would talk about how uh, as, a, as, a, as a culture becomes more affluent, they incorporate more meat into their diet. Yeah. So the, the meat is considered the affluent food. And then, but then suddenly when you talk about being plant-based and they go, well, but it's too expensive. Well, they, can they make up their mind? What's more expensive, meat or beans, right? You know? Yes, uh, that's true. Yes. I have uh, two questions. How do you uh, work with your patients and I imagine obviously their parents because you're you're a pediatrician uh, to to spread the word and how receptive are they and then also how receptive are your colleagues to the message that you're sharing I'll start with my colleagues first <laughs> because since I'm solo solo right now I just basically just meet people online and my friends that are you know also physicians but I think that they accepted me but they were also very skeptical about it and weren't necessarily on board. I think that it can be hard, especially when some of my colleagues had been practicing for almost 30 years. I think mm -hmm. it was really difficult for them to take it seriously, you know? And like I said, this is just something that's drilled into you when you're a pediatrician, you're just taught this is just the way you feed kids. And it's not safe if you don't feed them this way, they have to have meat, they have to have dairy, you know, and so changing that for some pediatricians, maybe they don't have the time, maybe they don't have the energy to look into it themselves. But I have found that most of the people that I've worked with have not really been curious enough themselves to look into it. You know, they, they haven't yeah. made fun of me or anything, but they just, they don't choose to look into it themselves, so, which is probably a similar experience for that most of us have. And then as far as the other question you asked how my families have been receptive and how I work with my families. Well, it's been two different things because first I was at a community health center and I felt like there it was a little bit more like, huh? Like, what do you mean? Don't drink milk. That's weird. You know? And but that was several years ago, you know, it was almost six years ago that I left there. And then when I started my own practice, because my practice now, the whole premise of my practice is wellness, mm -hmm. which I feel as a pediatrician, it positions me perfectly to yeah. have a wellness practice because the majority of my patients are extremely healthy. You know, I, what I'm doing is working on preventing disease. I'm on the other spectrum <laughs> that what you are on Dr. Riz yeah. is I'm doing the best so that they don't ever have to see you. Sorry if it affects your paycheck eventually, <laughs> you know, unfortunately I'm never going out of business. Unfortunately. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Um, but you know, the families that come see me now, it's because they are interested in that. Every once in a while, I still have families that they just can't get their, their brains wrapped around not consuming dairy. That's one of the big things that's easy for me is to just tackle dairy first. Kids in general aren't huge meat eaters anyway. That's a, an acquired taste. <laughs> and so when they're younger, 
the dairy is really the big thing that I'm working on decreasing or eliminating. And most families before they even come to me, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. We're already drinking almond milk or oat milk, or, you know, they've already started seeing the connection between their own digestion and milk or other problems. And so I feel like it's getting easier and easier. And I love that I have evidence that I can show family. So if there's mm -hmm. a patient that they need to work on the diet and eliminate things, I have evidence to back it up, you know? Um, so overall, I think it's been very gratifying to have a practice like that because it, I feel like families are becoming more receptive to the message. Yeah. Along those lines, uh, you've been plant-based now for uh, over a decade. I say you've been through it as this transition. There's a momentum occurring, a change occurring, right? Do you see it? And can you talk about that? It's amazing. Well, even just both of you know, being on social media, I feel like every day Instagram is like, do you want to be friends with this person? It's like plant-based, this person, vegan, this person, plant, and they're all physicians and healthcare professionals. And I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. And then going out to these conferences, like the Plantrition Conference, which is now getting more than a thousand attendees every year and American College of Lifestyle Medicine, where people are learning more about predominantly plant-based diets. So the word is getting out there and I love it. And I think that it's just it's helping everybody. It's helping people that are already promoting the message, but the ripple effect is going out even further to their patients. So I think it's just been an amazing thing to see. Yeah. Different than when you first became plant-based. Right. Because yeah. back then I didn't know any like quote <laughs> real people, you know, I just knew <laughs> the big people that were doing this work, but yeah. So now I just feel like it's very common. Good. Yeah, how encouraging. And you know, I mentioned previously that I saw your TED talk, and you're an excellent speaker. But when I heard your talk, and a little bit about your story, I love how you kind of put the plant based message in it all. It was excellent. Could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and why you decided to go into medicine and more specifically why you chose to work with kids? Yes. So I knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was like three or four years old. And I'm one of those people that I just declare something and that's my goal. It's going to happen. And I was inspired by my aunt who is now deceased. She was a general practitioner in Panama, just an amazing an angel, really a saint. They would call her a saint because she was just so dedicated to her patients and, and so patient herself. And I always admired her. I would see her treating patients in my grandmother's living room after hours when she was supposed to be resting and, you know, take care of her own family. She could, she could never say no, but it really inspired me. And so I decided to become a physician but, you know, as I grew, I struggled with issues of my own, and that was chronic dieting, poor body image, disordered eating. And so I had always been interested in nutrition, but really I was interested in nutrition because I wanted to, to lose weight. I wanted to be thinner. You know, that was just the basis of everything. So I did go to medical school, thank goodness. And in uh, medical school, I thought I wanted to be a geriatrician. Actually, I even did research in that area. And that I had a mentor and everything I had everything lined out and I had saved my pediatric rotation for my last rotation of my third year, because I knew for sure I didn't want to do pediatrics. So I put all the important ones ahead and put pediatrics for last. <laughs> and at the end of the first week, I came home, my husband and I were already married. He's also a physician. And I said to him, I really like this. And he's like, Oh, good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Cause I grew up as an only child. I never babysat. I wasn't around kids. So I didn't think kids was my thing. And I was like, no, I really, really like this. And I decided to do pediatrics instead. And I like that you brought up the colors, my logo and my website. I didn't do that because it was more attractive to children. I did it because I'm a big kid. I mean, that's why I belong in pediatrics is because that's my energy. And I love children. And I just, they light me up and they're so optimistic and positive And of course, so beautiful, you know, like you just can't get over how beautiful children are. And it's just, it's my calling. It's where I'm supposed to be. And it aligns perfectly with lifestyle medicine because I can be there at the beginning before I start seeing these chronic diseases or get at the beginning and start reversing some of these 
conditions. And to me, that's just such a beautiful place to be. So I'm very, very grateful that I found pediatrics and that it was such a great match for me and my personality. Well, you've got your work cut out for you because I now know that atherosclerosis starts in utero. Yes. So, uh, you got to get working on those kids early. Yeah, well, I've got to, and I tell their moms because obviously my parents, I have a very young practice. They're on baby two and three. And I wrote that into my book too, that we need to start thinking about feeding our kids before our kids are even born. Mm -hmm. You know, they're tasting in the amniotic fluid and mom's diet affects those babies. Just like you were saying, there's evidence to show that now. So yeah, we got to start as soon as we can, but as we know, it's never too late. Even if you didn't get it during pregnancy or toddlerhood, it's never too late to get started. Before COVID, were you doing any kind of um, food demos or lectures or yes. outreach? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm a food for life instructor through the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And that was one of those things that I went hard on. <laughs> so <laughs> for about four years, I was giving classes all the time, sometimes three or four a week, oh my and God. teaching food and I loved it, but I overdid it. So I burned myself out. So I don't do that right now. And especially with COVID, we're not doing in person stuff. But it taught me a lot. And it I mean, I learned the material so well because I was teaching it all the time and I know all the tricks and I can teach people how to cook stuff, but not just make things healthy. I cook them how to make it delicious and inexpensive, which I mean, it's like a win, win, win. And so there's no excuse. I mean, the food tastes good. It doesn't cost that much and it's not difficult to make. And I can teach all of those things. And so I'm glad that there's other food for life instructors in my town. So I don't have to be the only one trying to do it all, but also around the country that can teach these concepts and educate patients that are ready to start making changes. You know, we love uh, Food for Life instructors. We partnered with some of them and you guys are really well trained. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun when you can go and sample foods. So I'm assuming some of your uh, patients were probably doing that. Yeah, um, and I think that that's the magic is because like we had said before, a lot of people assume that plant-based means it's going to be bland or just mm -hmm. taste bad or like cardboard or something. So- I love the classes because some of these recipes are literally so simple. So if you just read them, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. But when I would see my students taste it and they were like, whoa, this is really good. And I can make this tonight when I get home. I have all these ingredients at home. They were all shocked. And so I had so much success of people leaving the class and integrating more whole plant foods into their diets and not being afraid to experiment and try new things. So that tasting of the food is really important. So even if you can't host a class for other people, sharing your plant-based food with other people is really important because everybody out there just assumes that because it's called plant-based or vegan, it must not taste very good. Even though in their lives, they've probably eaten plenty of plant-based foods, but it just wasn't called yeah, that. They just don't know it. Yeah. It's just important to share it with other people so that they know. So Dr. Yami, you work with the children uh, as a pediatrician, but you're also trained as a health coach. And that means that you can work with the complete family. You can work with adults and children. Uh, what kind of programs have you put together in regards to that? And kind of tell us about what it's like to work with the family entirely. So the reason I became a health and wellness coach is because I knew that as a physician, I didn't know all of the techniques and I didn't have all the tools and methods to really appropriately help with behavior change. We're just not taught that as physicians, we are taught the expert model, which is you have this do this, <laughs> you know, and Dr. Riz probably knows that often we tell patients, okay, do this and they don't do it. And it's not necessarily because they're a bad patient or they're being non-compliant. It's because they may have not even been on board with it in the first place. So what I love about coaching is we can take it all the way from the person's desires and goals, because maybe their goal isn't necessarily to lose weight. Maybe their goal isn't necessarily to drop their cholesterol. Like that, maybe that's vague to them. Maybe their goal is I want to feel better so that I can play with my grandkids. Okay. That's your goal. When do you see yourself achieving this by? And 
what steps can we take to get there? And then, so maybe the, the client is going to say, um, well, maybe if I start walking every week, I will start getting more energy. Okay. Well, what are you willing or what do you think you're capable of doing? Can you do 10 minutes, three times a week? And then, so we make smart goals that are appropriate and sustainable for each person and then just work up from there. But from the physician model, you're just like, okay, start exercising, eat better, <laughs> see me in three months. Nothing happened in those three months because we really have to help inspire their own motivation because each person has their own desires and motivations inside of them. And as a coach, I'm able to really highlight and harness that. And that's what I love about it. And so I think that's helped me even be a better doctor because I don't just assume that just because I say, do something that people are going to do it. And I really have learned those methods of motivational interviewing and assessing people's confidence levels. And I use it all the time. Mm -hmm. I think the first time we heard motivational interviewing was at Plantrition a few years ago. Uh, another physician who was working at Kaiser Permanente, who had a very successful program there, said um, motivational interviewing is key. Yeah. And we're just like, what does that mean? What does it all mean? You know, and when then we both started studying lifestyle medicine, and we realized it's right there. You are guiding them towards discovering why they want to do this. And, and so like you said, it becomes a more sustainable model, rather than just being told as if you're a child, you need to do this, you need to do that, you really just help them to see and, and discover the why and then put a, a, a plan in place that is doable. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I love it. So were you already practicing lifestyle medicine before becoming certified? I think I was because I also am in love with the blue zones. And in fact, tried to bring the blue zones here to Yakima and that wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. I'm jealous because you guys are close to one of the blue zones projects there in yep. Fort Worth. But you know, I, I was really in love with the concept. And so I had already started implementing all that with my families. And you know, a lot of it, even though it is evidence-based, is common sense. We know that nutrition is very important, but it's not the only thing. I mean, I know people who eat great, but they don't sleep and they're super stressed out all the time. And that's not necessarily good for our system too. So especially in pediatrics, I think it's just the perfect time to help families with habits and behaviors so that they teach these kids, you know, getting to bed on time, getting adequate sleep is a lifelong healthy habit. You know, it's not just because it's convenient for mom and dad. It's because it's good for your brain development. It's good to decrease the risk of Alzheimer's decades down the road and heart disease and all of that stuff and moving your body and allowing our kids to move and giving them the space and the freedom to move their bodies. So this is all, it just feels very natural in pediatrics. And I'm so glad that there's a certification because it aligns perfectly with what I do. Now, what are some of the common issues that you see in children that can be treated easily with plant-based nutrition or just lifestyle medicine uh, modifications? Well, the most common stuff, which is the stuff I've already mentioned, is going to be a lot of digestive stuff. So constipation, mm -hmm. chronic abdominal pain, you know, so I that's like a daily practice as a pediatrician, you're talking about that all the time. And, you know, I do start seeing kids that may have some blood pressure starting to go up a little bit. Wow. And I know that that's a sign that mm -hmm. most of the time it's diet. So we talk mm -hmm. about that. Um, and sleep, sleep issues are really, really common in pediatrics as well. So implementing the lifestyle medicine techniques, sleep hygiene, and having good sleep routine. So I would say that those are the main things, but pretty much day in and day out, I'm implementing lifestyle medicine as a preventive you know, education at each well child check. So it's something that I live and breathe in my practice. Have you seen an increase in childhood type two diabetes related to obesity? Well, in my previous practice, I was seeing more of that. But in this practice, because my patients are so healthy, mm. I don't have any patients that are having that right now, thank goodness. Um, and then the other thing, when it comes to body size in children, this is one of my big passions is I don't focus on body size, I focus on habits and behaviors, because I know that body size just happens to be a symptom of lifestyle. 
not necessarily the cause, like we're always talking about, you know, it can be in some instances, but mainly it's a symptom of the habits. And there are some kids that are naturally going to be larger bodied people. So if I focus on their size, it's going to take away from the goal of actually changing habits and behaviors and redirect the parents to focus and over-focus and get anxious about the body size of their child. This happens both in larger bodied children and also children that are leaner and Mm -hmm. smaller in size. So instead focus on, you know, it's usually pretty simple because usually you do see there's diet changes that can be made or sleep or stress or exercise things. And so it's very simple. How about we work on this? Can we get the child moving more or can we get the family moving more, which is way more effective? Can we eat more beans? I'm always pushing beans because I think the American families, that's a deficit in the American culture is People don't know how to use or cook or eat beans. So, uh, you know, little by little, we make these changes, but focusing more on habits and behaviors rather than size or weight. And you touch on that in your book, Intuitive Eating. And uh, I was fascinated by the topic because in so many ways, I think I, uh, I've adapted that for myself in terms of I eat when I'm hungry <laughs> and I eat till I'm satisfied. So in your book, you kind of advise um, parents to kind of let go a little bit and allow the child to then go within and really see what the body is saying to them. Yes, because children are born that way. We're born naturally intuitive eaters. Now, there's definitely individual differences as far as what we call food approach. Like I said before, me and my older son, we love food. We like food. We think about food more probably than some other people. But even with those children that have high food approach or the children that might have lower food approach, In general, you can trust these kids to feed themselves adequate amount of calories in order to grow the way that their genetic blueprint is telling them to grow. Whenever we interfere and either try to force kids to eat more or restrict their food, we're actually counterproductive. We're causing the opposite reaction. So whenever we restrict food from a child that we think is eating too much, we actually cause them to be more obsessed with food and think about food more. Whenever we try to force a child to eat more than they want to, we're actually making them more anxious around food and they're going to be eating less of those foods. So it's difficult because I think a lot of us were raised in that, you know, eat one more bite. Here comes the airplane, you, you know, clean your plate because there's children starving and who knows where, you know, or like grew up that way. So you have to unlearn habits. We have to unlearn our cultural training. But whenever we step back and trust that our kids are going to know how much to eat, it's actually less stressful for everybody. It's less stressful for your child. It's less stressful for you. And at the end of the day, they're feeding themselves adequately and they're growing as their body is instructing them to grow. I've often wondered the trauma that a child can uh, experience when there are all these restrictions that, you know, I didn't experience them, but my mother uh, grew up where the parents, you know, they would put a lock on the refrigerator. And so when we introduced her to this way of life, she asked me, um, so do you ever cheat? (laughs) And I said, why would I cheat? (laughs) You know, like in my mind, I'm only harming myself. It's probably from those childhood uh, moments that she had. I mean, it is so traumatic and we do it to ourselves, unfortunately. So whenever we impose restrictive diets on ourselves and then we start binging and then we think we're food addicts, it actually (laughs) spurred from the fact that we were restricting our calories. So yes, it can be very traumatic and it can be very sad um, because we are survival creatures. So first and foremost, you know, we, we have this survival instinct And that is helped by eating sufficient amount of food, you know? So whenever we have this feeling that there's scarcity when it comes to food, 
it's appropriate evolutionarily. It's appropriate for us to suddenly become obsessed with food because in our primitive brain, we're thinking we could die, we could starve to death and we want to be alive. So it may seem dramatic, but to the primitive brain, it's not to the primitive brain. That's real. It is a life or death situation. So some of these things, chronic dieters, I know it took me years. It took me years to lose that sneaking, you know, hiding, eating by myself sort of thing because I had dieted for so long that food was this really weird relationship thing. Thankfully, whenever you stop dieting and you stop restricting, you can get back to a place with food where it feels natural and normal and comfortable and you're no longer worried about not having enough. But just imagine when we're imposing that to our children, what we're causing. And I know that parents are well-meaning. I know that this happens a lot. So I'm not blaming parents. And I'm not saying that they're bad parents. I just hope that if there's anybody out there listening and doing that now, maybe think about a different approach and mm -hmm. trusting your child. Of course, filling your house with health promoting foods and having good structure and routines, but not putting your child on a diet. I mean, that's a really, really big deal to me. We need to improve the quality of our food. And, and when we can do that, these restrictions go away. Uh, that whole concept of restricting someone uh, that's what I worried about my kids when they were growing up is fortunately we didn't, we weren't focused on this restricting them, uh, from how much they could eat or, and we didn't force them. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, they ate whatever they wanted to eat and we were fine with that. But inside the one thing I was worried about was the quality of the food. I've always said too, that, uh, when you, when you eat plant, a uh, whole food plant-based diet, uh, your body finds its, uh, natural weight. Yes. Yeah, your body finds it. And some people are going to be larger than others still. Yeah. This is like really, really important to me because I think that there's there's this feeling that if you're doing it right, you're going to be skinny. Mm. Um, some people really want to be skinny and some people will, but some people won't. I mean, there's still going to be individual differences or there's going to be uh, ethnic differences. And so that's why I focus more on well-being rather than body size. Let, let your body do what it will. Feed your body appropriately. Tune into your body. Eat when you're hungry. Stop when you're satisfied. Eat mostly whole plant foods, but tune into how you feel. I think that's the best North Star when it comes to are you doing this right or not? You know, because some people think, okay, I'm doing everything right, but I'm still not a size four. So mm -hmm. there's something wrong with me, or maybe I'm just eating too much garbanzos because they're a little bit higher in fat or whatever. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So um, that's why I focus on well being rather than size or weight. And I definitely understood that concept of um, the body size can still be different when I read um, How Not to Diet by Dr. Greger, and he addresses why some people still struggle with losing weight, even though they're eating plant based. Once you have those fat cells in your body, you're going to struggle. I'm very sensitive to the topic of obesity because of my own family. And I know that there's some other issues and childhood traumas that are associated with that. So I, I don't want to shame or, or um, judge people by that. Um, I once heard you were on a panel discussion once with an individual who's a wonderful leader in the vegan world. And she talked about how she still struggles with losing weight, despite doing what she thinks is all the right things. And I felt so bad for her. And I thought, gosh, I wish more people would say that so that there's less judgment about weight and body image, because that's where the eating disorders <laughs> come from. It's how we view each other. I mean, I know <laughs> like this is like such a big deal to me, but I'm immersed in this other world now. And so, you know, we talk about paradigm shifts from the standard American diet to the whole food plant based. Well, now I'm in this whole paradigm shift when it comes to weight, because I mean, I, I just wonder if that one professional otherwise is having a happy, joyful life, then who cares what clothing size, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because what happens is whenever you keep perseverating on the size of your body, it alters what choices you make in life. And 
ultimately it raises your cortisol and it makes your life mm. stressful. And so we can be having, and we can be harnessing so much more joy when we focus on well-being. Of course, we, we stick to the lifestyle medicine pillars. You know, I'm not saying go out and, you know, eat a bunch of processed food and only sleep two hours and stuff like that. I'm saying, you know, you do your lifestyle stuff, but don't expect, or don't try to force your body to be a certain size or weight just because you think society says that that's the right thing. Or maybe mm -hmm. even the BMI chart says that that's mm -hmm. the right thing, because guess what? Doctors have been wrong before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We know this, right? So I'm sorry, I get super passionate about this topic, but I, 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 I feel like I'm one of the lone ones that has this positioning when it comes about it. But I feel like it's particularly important for children because when we're trying to change the size or the shape of somebody's body, it can affect them for their entire lifetime, you know, and it can bring them so much misery and stress in their life when it didn't have to. You know, so I'm interested in knowing more about your experience being part of Dr. Judy Brangman's um, Reclaim Your Health Summit. I was excited to hear initially that she was putting this together. And then I signed up because I love to learn. And I said to Riz, you know, this is an important topic. This is where you're addressing um, how to prevent diseases, but also you're addressing black health. Can you tell us what that was like for you? It was such an honor. And I just so proud of Judy, Dr. Brangman for even having this idea. And actually, she did put it together very quickly. <laughs> she worked really, really hard to put it together and did a fantastic job. But it was inspired by COVID and everything that's been going on with more attention to the health of people of color. And so I think that it was excellently made. And I just feel so proud and honored that she invited me to do it. And then I got to interview her too for it. So I think more and more we're seeing that, you know, there's definitely some ethnic and racial disparities, but also there are certain communities that maybe we haven't been vocal with, but they probably are interested, you know, like it's one of those things that you just make an assumption. Okay. Maybe these people, they're not interested or they can't do it, but maybe they are. And so why don't we talk to them and reach out to them? And then we realize, oh, actually this could be one of the fastest growing group of people eating whole food plant-based. I had no idea until I started seeing the reports of how African-Americans, one of the fastest growing groups of people that are changing to veganism. I think that, you know, it, it's very important that we just are mindful of that and aware and do the best we can to be inclusive to all communities. I agree. It fell at a wonderful time during this COVID time, but during a very divisive time in our in our country. And I saw this summit happening and PCRM putting together one in Spanish. I referred my mother to that one. I said, you got to watch this one because Spanish is still her stronger language. And, and it makes sense that we start to come together and focus on certain groups that kind of feel like we've been a little bit neglected. When I heard Dr. Columbus Batiste talk about an experience he had in his earlier years, I mean, I get emotional thinking about it, but he, he spoke about an individual. They were at a location. I don't remember the details. The individual came to Dr. Columbus and his friend, and he was like, whoa, we're about to have some problems. And no, this person just wanted to introduce himself and say, hey, welcome to this community. And it was that experience the black experience that some people live with every day that can then affect your level of stress. Um, it can it can affect how you see everybody else and how you feel like you're being perceived. And so when the summit came out, I felt so excited. I shared it with as many people as I could because I thought, this is important. And really, all physicians in the plant-based world need to see this. Yeah. You know, we talk about how about a, a third of your patients are African American, mm -hmm. or so, you know, and, and so it's important to know how to work with certain patients is what I'm saying. And, you know, just taking it back to the coaching too, to realize that everybody has their own individual experience and journey, and they have their own lived experience. And so 
sometimes we want to make assumptions, but it's not appropriate to make assumptions. We need to ask, like, what is your experience with this? How do you feel about this before we make mm -hmm. assumptions? And I think that's what we're all learning how to be better at, because definitely I'm not perfect at that. But I think with these events and with the changing times, we can all learn how to be more inclusive, but also make space for all people to be able to tell their story. We all deserve to be healthy. And it is true. You just never know who will be open. They just need to hear the message. Yes, absolutely. So you've mentioned that um, your patients are fairly healthy. It's, is it because of the population? You know, the name of my practice is Nourish Wellness. And I positioned myself as pretty much doing lifestyle medicine, even before I was lifestyle medicine certified, I didn't really realize <laughs> that when I did that, I was going to already attract the healthiest people. Like I just, I guess, didn't know that that was going to happen, <laughs> but that's what happened, you know? So I attract all the people that are already interested in pursuing this way of life. And because of that, I, my patients are so healthy and I, I'm very happy about that, but I just didn't imagine. I, I imagine myself doing more work like I did before where I'm helping families that are really struggling and really needing a lot of help with that. And so that's why I still am very passionate about doing my online things and having my online presence. But I also just love my practice. And the reason I love my practice is because it's, definitely let me see what it's like for a healthy child to grow up without chronic disease. So I know exactly what that looks like now. I know exactly how that can happen. And I know that it's possible and it's, it gives me so much hope. Mm -hmm. So I think either way, it's been a fabulous experience and it's very gratifying to do that kind of work too. Yeah. I mean, you are literally raising that next generation of healthy kids because you're it, it's foundational what you're teaching at a young age when they're more receptive and then you're putting them on a great path. I get messages all the time from my patients' moms whenever the my little patients, the little kids are telling their moms, you know, we need to eat more beans, Dr. Yami says, <laughs> or please tell Dr. Yami I ate my beans or I had kale or, you know, whatever. So I know that the message is getting in there because it's not like I just am giving a lecture every time they go to a well child check, but I'm consistent, you know, let's talk about how much dairy you're having. Let's talk about beans. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about sleep. And so the message is getting there little by little. So now you said that you're putting a lot more energy into your podcast and you've been podcasting for about three years or yes. longer. Are you spending more time doing interviews? Yeah. So I was actually doing two episodes a week for a while. Wow. <laughs> then I'm back down. You know, we just upgraded some things and worked on our, the quality of our audio. And uh, it's just it's just been so great. So we're nearing 300,000 downloads very soon, probably in the next wow. week or so we'll get to 300,000. And, you know, just like we had talked about whenever I interviewed you for my podcast, it's about consistency, just keep going and, and more people will find you. But I love podcasting. It's like literally one of my favorite things to do. So I could do it every single day of the week, but I have other responsibilities. You'd have to give up your day job, huh? I know, seriously. So I just, I just want to make it as good as I can. Yeah, well, I think you're awesome and you're natural at it. And, uh, and what a wonderful way to provide information, especially because you are a physician. Not all physicians are able to spend that much time. And, and aside from that, just doing the research for each episode, um, it's a lot of work. It's so fun. It fills me up. It makes me so happy. I can see how that would be gratifying. Um, I did have one fun question for you. Is there a hobby or a passion that most people don't know about you? I'm a pretty open book, so I think most people know pretty much everything about me. But I love exercising. Like we had talked about how I started with long distance running. I don't do that anymore, but I love to get on my bike or my treadmill every morning. And it's just the best way to start the day. I know that it's going to set me up for a joyful day where I have energy and I can think clearly. So I try every single morning to start my day with exercise and it's not difficult for me just because I love it that much. And I just love sweating and I love being <laughs> breathless. So it's just really, really fun. So do you have a tip for our listeners, whether they're parents or not, on how they can upgrade their life? I think that everybody can be mindful about getting adequate sleep. I suspect that the majority of people 
listening probably are not. So one easy way to upgrade your life is to just start going to bed 30 minutes earlier and get more sleep. And you're going to feel like a million bucks the next day. And it's so worth it. <laughs> we do the whole lifestyle medicine thing, but sometimes we don't practice it ourselves, right? Yeah, we're, bur we're burning the candle at both ends. We got a lot of stress. We don't get enough sleep. The first thing to go is my exercise routine when I get busy. Uh, so yeah, we do have to practice self care. And uh, exactly. it's very important. Whenever we deviate off the path, it doesn't mean that we just throw in the towel and quit. We just gently nudge ourselves back on the path and then tune into that sense of well-being because when we deviate off the path usually we're not feeling good so when we get that indication of like oh i'm just i'm not feeling well we get back on the path and we're like ah oh, this feels better it's just easier to stay on that path you know mm -hmm. how can people find your intuitive eating book and your websites and also how can they listen in on your podcast so the best place to go is my website, dryami.com. And there you can find links to my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Like to Eat Healthy, my podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio. And there's also, I have a bunch of freebies. So at dryami.com forward slash free, I have lots of cool stuff like how to replace meat, how to replace dairy, a plant-based shopping guide all kinds of stuff, breakfast, lunch, and dinner ideas. And so those are just easy PDF downloads. And then from there, they can link out to my social media. I'm most active on Instagram at the Dr. Yami. But like I said, you can find everything from dryami.com. Well, Dr. Yami, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we've enjoyed getting to spend a little bit of time with you. Thank you for everything that you do and for being such a wonderful role model and for being, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while. So you're almost a pioneer. <laughs> you're, thank you for all the work that you've done. Thank right. you so much to both of you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.